We're diving into First Peter. We're really excited about this study. Um, it's something that Kevin and I and Dave and, and uh, the newest pastor, Brian, have, have spent some time praying about, praying over, uh, and, and getting really excited about. Brian will be here in a couple of weeks. Uh, Gwen and I are going to be down in Arizona visiting her mom. And so Brian and his family are going to come up here and help Pastor Dave that weekend. So he won't be preaching, but he's going to be a part of what's going on here. So you'll get to meet him. Don't skip that week. Obviously, Dave's preaching anyways. Why would you want to skip it? But you'll also have an opportunity to say hello and meet Brian uh, and, and his family. So make sure that you uh, you do that in a couple of weeks. It's going to be exciting. Um, as we were looking at First Peter... We are looking at the, the theme of the book, the overall, what is Peter writing about? What was Holy Spirit prompting him to communicate to the church? And we really saw a theme of saints through suffering, who we're called to be and really what we're called to do. So we're called as, as believers, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, we are called saints. Uh, some of you may have grown up in a church that uh, saved that term saint for specific people throughout history or even modern day. I truly believe the Bible teaches anyone who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ is a saint. We are called, we are his, we are part of his chosen family, and we are called saints. And that gives us something to try to live up to. You know, sometimes you get, you get called something by your parent or by a friend, and now you try to live up to that. Well, that's kind of where we're at here. We are called saints. And of course, throughout scripture, we see the theme of suffering. We went through Daniel and Revelation before our series in Proverbs, uh, and we, we looked a lot at like end times, what's going to happen in the end, the tribulations, the trials, the testing, um, what the end of the world will look like, and if we are still here as that starts to build up towards that, what potentially uh, the, that trials would look like, the testing would look like, uh, and ultimately persecution of the church. We talked a little bit about what's going on even around the world right now persecution-wise, and and what could potentially happen in the United States, just so that we're aware. We don't want to live in fear, and and I think that 1 Peter will uh, encourage us in that way, too. I'm really excited about that, but this is also looking at just the trials and the the, the testing and, and the suffering that we go through in our daily lives as Christians and because of the world and because of where we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And so we're really excited to get into this. Most of us sitting here have suffered. Some of us only slightly. Maybe your life's been pretty easy, pretty good. And there's something you can say, yeah, this was kind of a, a little trial for me, or this was a hard time. And, and other of us, others of us sitting here have been through the ringer. Right? The world has thrown its best at us. And, and, and unfair, unjust things have happened. And, and we have suffered. We have lost, right? We have lost health. We have lost loved ones, right? Some of us have been persecuted for our faith by our own family, right? I mean, some of the, sometimes that's the persecution you're going through now. Maybe it's not government persecuting us, but it's our own family. They can't believe that we would be Christians or that we would believe in a God or any of those sorts of things. 
right? Family sometimes rejects us because of the, of what we've chosen to believe. So there's all kinds of persecution, suffering, trials, those, those sort of things. But no matter what the extent that you have gone through or that you're going through right now, we can all agree that we have suffered. And until the Lord returns, we're going to suffer more. John 16, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So for those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, here is Jesus saying, this world is tough. You're going to suffer. You're going to have tough times of loss and pain and grief and hurt and heartache. Some of them just emotionally and spiritually. Others will be physical. But take heart. Have peace. Know that I am with you. I will not forsake you. I have gone through it, right? And, and I have overcome the world. That's the promise. That's what we've placed our faith in. Those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. So Jesus knew that he would suffer and he came to this earth. He suffered and died for you. So that on that third day when he was resurrected, the power of sin and death that had gripped onto humanity was crushed. Right? He had conquered that. And now that anyone that placed their faith in Jesus Christ could be saved from that. He knew about that. And, and what he was telling us in, in what I just read there is it wasn't if you're going to suffer. It's more of when you suffer. Remember this. So I'm talking to you this morning. If your life's been great and you haven't really suffered much, you're going to have suffering of some sort. In this life. And it's better for you to know about that and prepare for that. Maybe you've suffered in the past and you didn't suffer well, but now you want to grow in that so that when you suffer in the future, right, you'll be ready for that. But what about, so we see the, 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 the suffering thing, uh, and, and we kind of talked about that, but what about this idea of saints? I briefly touched on it at the beginning. Some of us might have trouble with that. Be like, okay, I, I, I place my faith in Jesus Christ. You can call me a Christian. I'm a Christ follower, but I don't know if I'm really worthy of being called a saint. I would agree with you. None of us are, but we can be because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's because of his work that's applied to our life that we can be a saint, that we can even be part of God's family, that when God uh, calls us home, when we stand before the throne, which each one of us will do, and God looks at us and says, why should I let you into heaven? You'll be able to say, because of Jesus Christ, the work that was done on the cross, his blood that was shed for me. We don't start piling up the list of accomplishments of what we've done. That doesn't matter. It all pales in comparison to our sin and our rebellion and our transgression. But the good works of Jesus Christ, what he accomplished on the cross and through that empty tomb is more than enough. We are called saints, not because we've earned that title, but because he's given us that title. So now we got to learn how to live like saints, even when we're suffering, right? First Corinthians uh 
Chapter one, verses two and three, Paul says to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints, right? Together with all of those who in every way place, uh, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs and ours, grace to you. Peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is calling those people, those modern day believers, right, in Corinth, saints. So what do we do with that? We are saints. We're called to be saints. We're called to be saints even through times of suffering. The question I would say at the beginning of this book and in this study over these next couple of months as we look at this is you need to ask yourself some hard questions, some reality check stuff. Are you okay with this? A lot of times we present the gospel and it's good news and it is good news, but we like to kind of soft sell it. Like place your faith in Jesus Christ and you're going to, when you die, you get to go to heaven. Like those are good things. And people are like, yeah, I could sign on to that, you know, and they start learning a little bit more and they're like, yeah, I believe this. But when you go to somebody and you say, hey, you're going to suffer and you might suffer really bad in this world for the name of Jesus Christ, sign on to that, right? I mean, like people would be like, well, wait a second. I I didn't know about that. So you might be sitting there today and you might have to ask yourself, I'm not doubting that you're a believer. I believe that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. But have you processed the idea of am I okay with suffering for Jesus Christ? That'd be one question you could ask yourself over the the next couple months. The other thing would be, how do I suffer now? No matter what it might be, right? So I have a really good friend I was texting with this week. She has cancer. Uh, they're not giving her a whole lot of time, and I've been texting with her. How is she going to live each day amongst her family, amongst hospice nurses, amongst the doctors at the doctor's appointments? How is she going to continue on in her faith during this time of suffering? Another person I talked to this week, their financial situation just tanked. They're in big trouble, at least through the world's eyes. They're going to be suffering. They're going to be going through this test, this trial. Their life is screwed up. If you're looking at it just from the outside, how are they going to go through this season of trials, of testing, of suffering? Those are what, those are the things that we're going to be looking at during this study, the things that we're going to be asking ourselves. And I hope that this is a series of reflection and challenge for each one of us. So as we look at Peter's writing to the dispersed church, we will see a lot about trials and suffering, God's love for us, and, and our ability to praise him even in or especially in the midst of a storm. Because when you know who you are, you can handle it. When you know who you are, you can handle it. If you truly believe that you're a saint and you live like that, it doesn't mean you'll be free from suffering. What it means is you're going to look different going through that suffering. That's the kind of person I want to be. Who we are and and how we become this is of utmost importance. And there's a ton written about that throughout the New Testament. And and so we don't want to miss it. And here in 1 Peter, we're going to see that. We need to know and believe who we are in Jesus Christ. So if you're one of those people this morning that kind of 
wasn't sure how to receive the idea or think about the idea of us being saints, uh, that we're set apart, that we are called to be God's holy people. Like if that makes you a little uncomfortable, that's something you need to process. We need to work through because we need to believe in who we are so that when things happen, we will respond in a certain way. And we start working and, 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 and getting ourselves into the place where we will respond in that manner. We want to believe this. We want to internalize it. And we want to become the people that can handle no matter what the world throws our way. So that's kind of where we're going here. We're going to pop into uh, the first chapter. We're going to read about 12, not about 12 verses. We're going to go through the first 12 verses today. So the the... I almost said the lyrics, isn't that great? The words to the scripture will be up here on the stage, or on the, the screen here on the stage. If you don't have a copy of God's word, we have some extra ones back on our information table. I want to invite you back there to grab one of those. You can make that your own. Keep it. Um, you know, it, let it be a gift from us to you. We believe that everybody should have a copy of God's word, uh, in their hands. And so if you need one of those, even now you can hop up and go back there and grab that. Um, but I will be reading out of the English standard version uh, of the Bible, starting in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. We're going to pause right there after those first couple of verses. We're going to look at this opening, these opening couple of verses, these first few lines, and we see here Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. A little bit of a background. We don't want to give a whole bunch today. We'll be talking about that throughout the series, but it's always nice to know a little bit of the background before you dive into a new uh, book series. And here we see um, that the author is Peter, okay? Peter is a disciple or was one of the disciples of Jesus Christ. He was one of his best friends. I kind of like Peter. Uh, Peter's a big mouth, Right? He ends up sticking his foot in his mouth a lot. He says things without always thinking. And sometimes I look at Peter and I say, I can see myself in this guy. Right? I've done this. I talk before I think sometimes and I'll, I'll make big bold statements. Right? And, and here we see Peter writing this book to the church in the dispersion. And we'll get to that in a minute. But Jesus and Peter were good friends. They were good friends, right? Some would argue that his closest was John, and I probably would agree with that, but Peter's right there. This is the kind of guy you want to have next to you, right? This is the kind of gal you want in your girls' group. This is the one that's going to just jump up and say, no, not to me or not to my friends, right? I'm going to defend this group, right? And sometimes those people, although they're great to have around, we need to like rein them back in. Because we need to say, hey, what does God want us to do in this situation? But anyways, Jesus, Peter, really good friends. Jesus gives Peter a new name. He's the rock, right? He's going to be, the the, the New Testament church is going to be built on Peter and, and the declarations that Peter made about Jesus. This guy 
he's he's great. I mean, he is one of the closest, and he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He walked with Jesus. He learned from Jesus, and, and he's out there amongst the churches in in the early time after Jesus Christ, his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. We know that the recipients of the church are the elect exiles. So let's, let's kind of look at that term and maybe dissect it a little bit. Elect meaning that they, or even we, because now we're reading this and we truly believe that this was written for a church, but that it's applicable by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's applicable to you and I today. That's why we preach out of the Bible. That's why we focus in on the Bible, not necessarily good, you know, books that are written about, you know, how to make yourself better or or self-help. No, we're going to go to scripture. We're going to see what it has to say because we believe it's truly God's word. So here we see uh, the book that's being written by Peter through the power of the Holy Spirit is being written to elect exiles. And that means you and I. So let's look at those two terms. We're going to start with elect. Elect means that we are chosen by God. Romans 8. If you're taking notes, write down Romans 8. Great chapter to read through. Lots of good chapters in Romans. But you will see a a lot about God choosing us and drawing us unto himself. We did not choose God. He chose us. And that should feel good to you and I. We have been chosen by God to be a part of his family. As I was sitting at my desk last night, kind of going through the notes uh, on here, two things that kind of work together but are different popped into my mind. I don't even have it in my notes here. But I've been watching a little bit of Survivor, old Survivor series, with my youngest son who is about to graduate from high school and leave for college. And so I'm looking for any opportunity to spend time with him, right? And so we're watching old Survivor Series. And it gets to the end where they're doing a reward challenge. Uh, they're going to do a competition. Whoever wins, it gets a reward. And, and they choose sides. And if there's nine people left, they do a schoolyard pick. And I think that's what pricked my mind, right? Pricked my memory. Schoolyard pick. So the first four, you know, there's four taken for two different teams. Whoever was left out goes and sits on the bench and has no chance of winning. And I thought to myself, how would that make that person feel? How did people feel in elementary school, middle school, when they weren't chosen? I heard a yep over there. How do you feel if you're in a family and you feel like you're the oddball out? Right? You see what I'm saying? Like, to not be chosen hurts. And yet here we are being told, and not the first time, and it won't be the last, that we are chosen by God. As a saint, as a follower of Jesus Christ, do you believe this? You are so important to God that he chose you to be a part of your family. That is incredible. Because I thought about the guy on Survivor, and yeah, he just missed out on a meal, and he probably was a little bit bummed. But then I thought about the kids in elementary school and in middle school, and that hurts. To maybe not be a part of the in crowd or the crowd that, you know, the, the kids are all hanging out and you're left out. That really hurts. And then the application as it went a little bit further. If, if you're not chosen as part of your family to be even a part of your family, you're that oddball out. And so if you have that kind of hurt and that kind of pain in your past, I want to acknowledge that it's real and it's there. But that you should know that God has chose you. You are special. 
You mean the world to him. And no matter what happened, what's happening right now, or what's going to happen in the future, he loves you. He's brought you into his family, and you are important to him. Yeah, amen. So know that you are chosen. You are elect. You are in God's family. Exiles means something a little bit different. It's kind of the idea of like a, a refugee or a sojourner. Um, and, and so there's this double meaning because there's an idea of like, we don't belong where we're living, you know? And so for you and I, as believers, we are exiles, right? We are aliens. We are strangers in this land. This world does not offer us the most hospitable environment to be a follower of God. And, and yet here, Peter is actually talking to Jews that were exiled because of, of Rome and they were taken out of their cities. And so now you have these people who are truly part of this dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, right? The church has been spread out because of persecution, But the beauty is because of that persecution, because of this dispersion, the message of Jesus Christ goes forward. When you're going through a tough time and you feel like an exile, you feel like nobody wants you or loves you or that you're not chosen and you feel like you're an outcast and you're kind of in a place that seems odd and weird, maybe God has you there for a reason for a moment. And you don't forget that he has chosen you, but for a season, whatever that might be, you feel like you're on the outs, look for the other people who are out there with you. Those might be the people that you've been called to be with, to spend time with. Our true home is in heaven, you and I, once we place our faith in Jesus Christ. So while we're here on this earth, we are strangers, we are aliens, we are exiles. So we see the church has been dispersed. This area that's being described is modern-day Turkey. It's a large area. Both Jewish and Gentile people are the believers that he's writing to at this point, uh, and, and Peter's talking to both of them. So this idea of, of elect exile begins to reveal our identity as believers, as chosen family, to which then he continues on in verse 2. I promise I'll go quicker, not, not 15 minutes on each verse. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of the blood. And, and I know that's a long verse, but here what pops out and is so cool is the entire trinity is present. And a lot of times we remember God the Father, and a lot of times we talk about Jesus Christ. And, and it's just as important to talk about Holy Spirit and the role that he plays in us, that he lives inside of each one of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? So, I mean, he is equally as important, right? He is the one who is here with us. And in salvation, all of them are a part of this. Look at this. So the whole Trinity is involved in salvation and our new identity as a believer, right? As a saint. So what do we learn through this about the salvation and the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and their roles in salvation? Well, first of all, we see according to the full foreknowledge of God the Father. God the Father initiated our salvation before creation. There are lots of passages I could have brought up and read, and we could have spent probably an entire sermon just on these first two verses. But God has chosen you before the foundations of this earth to be a part of his family. 
And we see that being alluded to there. The second thing we see is in the sanctification of the Spirit. So here we go. Holy Spirit. God the Spirit uh, uh, applies the fact of our salvation to our account in heaven. Okay? Jesus Christ on the cross. His blood shed. We accept that free gift. Here it says the Holy Spirit, the Spirit applies that to our account in heaven. So when we arrive, our reservation is paid in full. I truly believe that none of us will stand before the throne of God and have to somehow justify our good actions outweighing our bad actions because it's not possible. The account has been paid in full. The blood that was shed on the tree was enough, was more than enough. For all of us, we don't need to add anything to it. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be motivated by the good news of that to good works. We definitely should, but that's not what's going to save us. There's nothing that we need to do to get into heaven. The blood being applied to us was enough. Period. His righteousness imputed to us. When God the Father sees me, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ shed. Not because I did anything special for that, but because of his love and his mercy and his grace. The third thing we see there is for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. So this is pretty cool. Long verse. I acknowledge that. Some tricky things here. But literally in one verse, we see all three parts of the Godhead. So God the Son accomplished our salvation. He paid the price fully. There was nothing more that we needed to do. Right? Through his death, the resurrection It was completed. And when we know who we are, we can handle it all. Right? So when we know this and we believe this, no matter what comes to us, what suffering, trial, or test, we can handle it. And Peter's wish for those who read this is to know that. So he greets us in a way that we get all of this out of the way up front. And now he's going to keep going back to it throughout the book. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. This greeting uses both the standard Greek greeting of grace and the standard Jewish meaning or greeting of peace. And both of those mean hello. Like if you want to just get down to what it says, that's what they would say. They walk up to somebody and say, shalom, right? Peace. It's a greeting. Hello. And that's true here. He's saying hello to these people, but he also wants to go for the deeper meaning, I believe. Right? And and these are spiritual truths that you and I need to understand. Grace is everything. It is by His grace that we are saved through faith. Grace is it. He paid the price. He did the work. He extended it to us. I mean, it's, it's an incredible word. And, And so to understand the deeper meaning, grace and peace to you. Hello, right? The, 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 what it, what it become the standard greeting of the day. It goes deeper than that. And the beauty of salvation is the peace that we receive from salvation. And I was trying to like, okay, how do I process this? An understanding of the, the, the peace that we should have in our life, no matter what's going on around us because of our salvation, that's not going to change and it can't change. 
For some weird reason, my brain went to this place where I started thinking about a vacation. When you arrive on vacation, you get there and you're, it's either maybe you paid for it ahead of time or you've gone in and you've swiped the debit card, right, Dave Ramsey people, or you paid cash, right? Okay. Uh, my, my point, I'm, I'm in the middle of teaching that uh, down at the other campus, so that's why it's on the forefront of my mind. But it's paid, right? It's, there's nothing left to do but to rest in the goodness of that paradise for the week. So close your eyes and think of that place that you want to go on vacation. And when you get there and it's paid for and and you just walk in and you just can rest in the fact. They're not going to come and knock on my door and ask for more. Right? They're not going to change the price on me once I get there. I'm not going to come to the end of the week and not be able to pay or just hope that I have enough left to pay for this. No, no, no. It's taken care of. Right? For those of you who have small kids, right? Think of the person that you trust the most. Those, those people are taking care of your kids, right? It's just you guys, right? No kids. Peace. Relaxing. Paradise. Right? And so it's not an equal, but that's the kind of peace I, it kind of went over my mind. In other words, I don't have to worry about my salvation. And that's a hope and prayer from me to you, and I hope from you to those who are sitting next to you, that we get to the place where we have so much peace and trust and hope, right? The confident expectation hope, not the hope like we have here in this world, uh, or this day and age, I should say. Um, But the hope that it's talked about in the Bible where it's confidence in the expectation of what's going to happen. That peace understands salvation for what it is. And that's what we will find in our salvation. Graciously, mercifully, lavishly finding total peace. The price has been paid. Our eternal uh, security is secured by his payment. We know about that in the future. We believe that, at least most of, our, of, of us do. We've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. We'll spend eternity with God in heaven. But what about now? Because peace is not just a lack of conflict, right? You can live in peace and have an abiding calmness despite the conflict going on all around us. The pain, right? The suffering, the trials. And two powerful words that describe what we have in Jesus are the grace that's been extended to us. And the peace that we have through that. And Peter wants his suffering saints, the readers, you and I, to live in light of that grace and peace. So he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Because when you know who you are, you can handle it. And that's what Peter is saying here. Let's get into this next slide here. Starting in verse 3, if you're following along. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded 
through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is not just Peter using a lot of words to lose you. Every word is important, and we're going to unpack that, right? My salvation has a future aspect to it. That's what we're looking at in these couple of verses. So we have salvation. We've, we've accepted the free gift from Jesus Christ. Right, We've acknowledged him as our Lord and Savior, and here we see that there's a future aspect of the salvation, which means I know the end of the story. I hope you're living in that confidence that you know the end of the story. We know what happens. God wins. I win because God wins. You and I, when we when we believe in Jesus Christ, we're adopted into the new family, and it's not just any family; it's the best family. So, if when I bring up family, you go, "Ah, I don't really want to talk about my family, right? It wasn't good." I, you know, or or maybe it's even the current situation you're in right now; it's not good. But you put on the smiling face and you come to church and you're trying to get things figured out. I'm glad you're here this morning. And we're praying for you. We want to work through those things with you, right? But this is talking about the best kind of family, right? Peter wants us to to remember this. He's going to remind us of this. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He busts into praise and worship, right? Reminds me of our worship team. He is thanking God for this. He's blessing the name of God. God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. And, and we talked about the definition of grace and, and mercy, and we do that often. We talk about those things, and they're really, really important. And, and grace is to get the truth that you and I, we, get what we do not deserve through Jesus Christ. You guys understand that, right? The grace that's poured out from God means we are getting something that we do not deserve because of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Mercy is the truth that we don't get what we do deserve, again, because of Jesus Christ. So when you're talking about God's mercy on your life, you're acknowledging that because of who I am, a sinful man, I deserved death. Eternal separation from God, right? And the sooner I would have gotten there in my unbelief, the better for me because I didn't deserve anything good. I'm a rebellious, sinful person. And yet, because of Jesus Christ, we don't get what we deserve and we get eternal life. We get the promise of heaven. That's incredible. That is mercy. Mercy has been poured out on my life. Because of God's great mercy, we can be born again. In fact, God caused it to happen. He is the initiator. That's just how merciful he is. Born again, the the phrase that Peter here is using, he heard firsthand. Do you remember what what the, the story was? Right? Back in John 3, Nicodemus, one of the religious leaders, comes to Jesus at night, wants to know what's going on. Who are you? Are you the Messiah? Like this is, this is like stuff that they were thinking about, dreaming about, but, but the religious system of the day was not ready for it. So Nicodemus comes at night and Jesus replies to him. It's a huge long, uh, chapter, which is awesome reading John three, but verse three, he says, verily, 
Uh, or very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And then he goes on to explain that. But Peter heard this firsthand from Jesus, and now he's using that here to describe us. We are born again. When we trust in Jesus, we don't just change, but we are actually recreated, brand new in Jesus. I love that fact. It it motivates me to live better, to live a better life. Even though I know the truth of it is that when God looks at me, he sees the cross, the sacrifice of his son, no matter what I've done right? But that doesn't give me license or freedom to continue on in that. What it does is it motivates me to good works for his glory. We are brand new in Jesus. It brings a brand new identity, a brand new life, and it should give us a brand new perspective on life. And so you, you who are sitting out there that maybe have been a Christian since you were a young child like I, a lot of times we forget that perspective and we need to be reminded of it. Our outlook on life needs to be different than the world's. And that comes because of the hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We're born again into that living home hope, which means I don't have to fear any longer what this world can do to me. I know deep down that I will spend eternity with God in paradise. I mean, what's the worst thing that this world could do to you? What, what's the worst thing that it has done to you? That will be nothing compared to eternity with Jesus. And if you're in the middle of living it right now, you may be saying, but you don't know what I'm going through. And you know what? I might not. But Jesus Christ does. He hung on that cross for you and for me. Philippians 1.21 says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul knew that when you know who you are, you can handle it all. And persecution and trials and, and, and uh, the, just the, the weight of being a Christian was heavy on these apostles and on Paul when he wrote this. The living hope that you and I have is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. His resurrection guarantees our future resurrection, right? Death is not as scary as it needs to be because we know as believers what's on the other side. We can read it. We can believe it. We will be raised to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you and me. Not only does God's great mercy save me from punishment, the punishment that I deserve for my sins, but God's grace means he gives me an inheritance. I don't deserve that. He's giving me something I don't deserve. He's lavishing grace upon me. Peter's doxology of praise here, it's written out in a beautiful way. When he describes the inheritance, he says it's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, right? He's using alliteration here. Uh, Pastor Kevin, when we were talking this week, he used these words to describe that inheritance. Permanent, pure, and preserved forever. 
Those are incredible things to think about. The final description he uses here uh, in four is kept in heaven for you. It's guarded. It's protected. It's not going anywhere. There's a future aspect of our salvation, and that should give us hope in the face of every trial. When you know who you are, you can handle it all. And next, Peter reminds us of how we can persevere because of the present aspect of our salvation. Picking up in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, Uh, through it, it it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." In this, you rejoice. Peter says that this is a fact, right? It's not just instruction. This is the truth. We need to rejoice in our salvation. And if you're not rejoicing in your salvation, are you sure you understand it? And and Peter wants you to understand it as followers of Jesus Christ. He acknowledges that now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. He's writing to a church that's been dispersed. They know pain. Suffering will be used 16 times in 1 Peter. He calls uh, this various trials. Reminds me of James in chapter 1, verse 2, where he talks about the various trials. We face so many different kinds of, of difficulties in this world. Medical, emotional, financial, spiritual, friendship, family. And, and this is true. And yet it's a, a difficult part of our salvation that we need to understand. Trials are intended to bring us to God to refine our faith. Much like gold is tested and refined, right? The gold is heavier. The other metals are, when they heat it up, go to the surface. You skim that off. And all that's left is that pure gold. When I ask myself this week, what happens to me when the fire, when the heat is turned up on my life, right? What boils to the top and what is left? And that gave me motivation. I want to be more like Jesus Christ. And, and when, when I go through suffering, I want people to see Jesus, right? That's the kind of person I want to be. I want it to be pure gold, So what's left in me, Peter says, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Although we will not be judged by our works for entrance to eternity in heaven, our works will be judged. We've talked about that before. There in Revelation, when we studied the book, we clearly saw that we will be judged for our works, but that is for reward, not for entrance. And there are rewards waiting for us in eternity, for eternity, right? And I want my rewards to result in praise and glory and honor to be given to God the Father. That's what I want. Turn up the heat on my life. And let's see what happens. Is that a prayer that you could pray? Is that a prayer that I'm willing to pray?
trials, and suffering. Through that, we are encouraged to rejoice with joy, Peter says. What kind of joy? Inexpressible and filled with glory. Have you ever had that kind of joy about what God is doing in your life in and through suffering? We don't need faith in something we can see, right? I walk up to a chair, I see it, I might try it out. Most of the time I just sit down, you know, I mean, it's there, it's going to hold me. And here, Peter is bringing up the idea of you don't see Jesus Christ. He'd already gone to heaven. You don't see God, and yet you believe in him. And that faith brings glory to God. It shows off the power and glory of salvation, and of Jesus to a world that desperately needs it. The, the bulk of First Peter concerns receiving reward for faithfully serving Christ in a hostile culture. Right? Jesus' path to that glory led him to the cross. Likewise, how we walk through life's trials will be one of the greatest factors in determining our eternal reward at the judgment seat of Christ. When you know who you are, you can handle it. So our future is sure. Our present is bringing us closer to Jesus as well as building rewards. And the last little section we're going to touch on today was that our salvation has roots that go back thousands of years. These are the last couple verses we're going to be looking at. Concerning this salvation, what we've been talking about, the future, the present, and now what the past was. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. The past aspects of your salvation. Concerning this salvation, right? This is incredible. The, the prophets of old prophesied about the Messiah, the coming of our Savior, right? And the salvation that would come through him. They didn't fully comprehend what the Messiah would look like. They were given words. Holy Spirit inspired them to write. And they wrote. They believed. It was a divine message. And they searched and they inquired, Peter says. They searched and they inquired. And in their writings, they described Christ and his life and the suffering and the glory. This is what God said would happen. And then it happened in Jesus Christ. He talked about our salvation through that. So why would we not believe it when it came true? God revealed to them that this must be the way. Suffering and then glory. And it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. Right? Believer. Think about this. For for just as suffering must precede glory for our Savior and Lord... More likely than not, it'll be the same for us. Through our suffering, we can bring glory to God. God gives us the privilege to walk in the steps of Jesus, to mirror his life in this aspect. 
So the suffering that I endure today will be the glory for God in the future. Think about that. The suffering we endure here on this earth will be the glory for God in the future. Believe that. My suffering is not bad news. It's good news, right? This is a great time in history to be alive, okay? A great time to have trials and testing for the sake of the gospel. You and I are incredibly blessed to be born during this time in history. And as the worship team comes up here, I want to encourage you to think about it. When, when I'm thinking about this world and what's going on in this world, there's part of me that's just like, ah, I can't believe I have kids and they're going to have to go out into this. And yet, because of their faith and God's promise that through a life well lived for his glory, he will be glorified, it should bring me a motivation to move forward. And I want you guys to be at that same place. To look at this time, 2022, as a great time to be alive. Because when you know who you are, you can handle it all. To close up, I, wanna, I want you to imagine a, a man promising his 25-year-old son or daughter that when the time is right, he'll inherit the family business. How would that promise change the son or daughter's approach to work, right? Difficult assignments, uh, assignments I mean, would, would become opportunities for joy because he or she is the future owner of that company. He would know that each assignment was given to him by a father who was preparing him for a promising future. And each challenge would draw him closer to the father, who had such incredible plans for him. Likewise, when we think about our sufferings in light of our inheritance that God has promised to us, we realize that God is preparing us for our future. And this helps make sense of our present difficulties. As C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at the earth and you will get neither.